All right, friends, it's hoop ball promo time. This is big because this is our 2020-2021 NBA season product rollout, and I am so excited to tell you about what we've got. We almost never push our hoop ball products, but this is the window of the year where we need to power that engine. So let me tell you what's out. We've got our draft guide, our flagship's shining beacon to the most comprehensive draft guide in fantasy. We cover all over 400 players this season with future access pass to our Brewski 150. Now, if you don't know what the Brewski 150 is, I'm here to give you the need-to-know info. This is the fantasy draft list that has beaten every other list for 10 straight years and new this year for hootball we're unveiling our monthly membership plans featuring our fantasy pass draft guide brewski 150 our new dfs pass premium in-season tools as well as our wager pass for sports bettors everything you need we've got you covered 365 around the clock hoop ball tools is your one-stop shop for your nba treasure trove of fantasy need to know information all that you need and more check us out head to hoop-ball.com or follow at hoopball fantasy on twitter now check it out give us a follow get your tools and win your league all right friends it's hoop ball promo time this is big because this is our 2020-2021 NBA season product rollout, and I am so excited to tell you about what we've got. We almost never push our hoop ball products, but this is the window of the year where we need to power that engine. So let me tell you what's out. We've got our draft guide, our flagship's shining beacon to the most comprehensive draft guide in fantasy. We cover all over 400 players this season with future access pass to our Brewski 150. Now, if you don't know what the Brewski 150 is, I'm here to give you the need-to-know info. This is the fantasy draft list that has beaten every other list for 10 straight years and new this year for hootball we're unveiling our monthly membership plans featuring our fantasy pass draft guide brewski 150 our new dfs pass premium in-season tools as well as our wager pass for sports bettors everything you need we've got you covered 365 around the clock hoop ball tools is your one-stop shop for your nba treasure trove of fantasy need to know information all that you need and more check us out head to hoop-ball.com or follow at hoopball fantasy on twitter now check it out give us a follow get your tools and win your league the following is a hoop ball presentation And we're back. Hiatus officially over. It is February 26, 2020. I am your host, Alan Sroki, and this is the Box Score Breakdown, a hoopball.com and Hawaiian Isles Kona Coffee presentation. Hawaiian Isles Kona Coffee, of course, is the title sponsor of this podcast and all podcasts on hoopball.com. You can look them up on their website, hawaiianisles.com. You can search them up on Amazon by searching for Hawaiian Isles Coffee. And, of course, you can find them on Twitter at H-I Kona Coffee. That is H-I-K-O-N-A Coffee. Hawaiian Isles, taste the Kona difference and get yourself a cup today. (laughs) That's apparently the official slogan of Hawaiian Isles Kona Coffee. Taste the Kona difference. Took me four months of doing these podcasts 
before I actually figured out the slogan. I just assumed that there wasn't one. <laughs> Made up my own, albeit a really generic one. Get yourself a cup today. Not breaking barriers of advertising with that one. But doesn't it inspire you to want to get yourself a cup of coffee today? That's what you want, right? If you're, if you're, if you're plugging a product, you want someone to get that product today. You can taste the Kona difference today. <laughs> oh, man. I'm a little out of practice, obviously. Uh, it's been... I was off last week, so it's been close to two weeks since I did this last podcast. Uh, of course, we had the All-Star break extend a little longer this year uh, in an effort for the league to give players more rest. And uh, as a side part of that, podcasters more rest. My voice feels great. And that has done, <laughs> for all that extra rest that the league has given, it has done absolutely nothing nothing to mitigate the injury issues that we're seeing right now. We're seeing some truly unprecedented stuff in terms of lengthy injuries happening to star players. It's been the theme all week long, and tonight is only going to add to that conversation. Of course, if you're tuning in and you aren't aware of what happened in the games tonight, a big injury happened in the first game of the night. We're not going to waste any more time, and we'll get to it. Of course, I'm talking about Joel Embiid and the Philadelphia 76ers. Philly lost this one, 94-108. Cleveland, by the way, taking that win. Joel Embiid had to leave this game after just eight minutes. Uh, after being fouled by Ante Zizic. Zizic uh, came down on his shoulder a little awkwardly, and they are officially calling this a sprain. We have no information on the timeline of this injury, and according to Embiid, he is set to have an MRI on it tomorrow. Chances are... He's probably going to miss some time yeah, based off of the, the way he's talking about it, the way he looked out there. He went to the, the locker room and came back to the bench. So, you know, he, maybe he tried to give it a go. But ultimately, I think he and the staff decided that he was in too much pain to continue playing and they didn't want to exacerbate anything. So he is out. And that's going to create a slew of questions with Philadelphia. But this is the box score breakdown. So let me start by actually breaking down the box score before we talk about the big picture stuff here. Leading scorer for Philadelphia in this one was Shake Milton, who is starting at point guard for Ben Simmons, who is out indefinitely with his back issue. Milton had 20 points on 8 of 14 shooting to go with 4 rebounds, 4 assists and a block shot, and 4 three-pointers. All accounts a really good game for the second-year guard. Josh Richardson struggled 32 minutes. He only scored nine points on four of 12 shooting, but he did add eight rebounds, four assists, two steals, two blocks, and a three. So shooting was poor, but everything else that was there for him, and I'm going to have extended thoughts on Richardson, really everyone in the starting five in a little bit. Al Horford also moving from the bench to the starting lineup after that experiment sort of failed, but he's also there right now out of necessity, even more so now without Embiid. In 34 minutes, he scored 10 points, grabbed five boards with five assists, three steals, and two three-pointers. Tobias Harris led, no, he didn't lead the team in minutes, but he second in the team in minutes in this one. 36, four of 13 shooting. He had 11 points, four rebounds, three assists, three steals, a block, and a three-pointer. Elsewhere across this roster, uh, Alec Burks in 17 minutes was able to get his shot to fall a little bit. 13 points on six of 12 shooting. Two boards, two assists, and two steals with a three. 
Matisse Thibuel was the guy who ended up starting the second half without Embiid, but he didn't play all that much. 15 minutes, four points, a rebound assist, and two steals. And I guess we've mentioned Kyle O'Quinn played 12 minutes, had six points to go with two boards, an assist, and four block shots. So Embiid's presumably going to miss at least a couple of games. I'm just going to go ahead. We're going to operate assuming that that's going to be the case, right? Philadelphia is now missing their two key cogs on offense. The teams who, that, like, you know, the offense is built around these guys. Usage is going to be up for grabs all over the place. And I guess we should start the conversation with Shake Milton, who I'm sure is going to pop up. He's going to be a pretty popular ad tonight based off the stat line. And, you know, I don't blame them, blame people for picking him up necessarily. He's got a ton of usage coming his way. He's running the show now. And he, he's kind of in charge of a disjointed offense. You know, Tobias Harris is a very capable offensive player, but he's been playing a lot of off ball this year. You know, he, he relies on Simmons to get him the ball, driving the lane or Embiid out of the post. Josh Richardson's a guy who has the ball in his hands a lot, but he is typically not going to score with it. I think Milton, and I mean, look, Milton wasn't, you know, coming out the gates firing all game. He scored half of his points in the fourth quarter. In particular, there was a two minute stretch where he scored eight points to start the fourth. And it's also worth remembering that Milton is doing this against one of the worst defenses in the NBA, especially at the guard spot in Cleveland. You take a look at his game log. He's had another really big game where he scored 27 points, but that came against the Hawks. And, you know, you guys know I love my Hawks and I love Trey Young, but he's the worst defender in the NBA. Uh, so I don't really know what to make of Milton. I'm certainly, I'm pretty positive that this is not going to be a, He's not going to be scoring 20 points a game. I don't even know if he was scoring 15 points a game. I think more chances than not, you're going to see a shooting lines similar to Josh Richardson's tonight, 4 of 12 with 9 points. That seems more of Milton's sort of speed here. I don't think at any point this season anyone's considered him a top-level scorer for the Sixers. He's just sort of there out of necessity. I'm not going to rule anything out. I think that he's worth a look in deep leagues. I think you should manage your expectations. I'm not sure who Philadelphia is playing next, but I can assure you that the defense is, the, the perimeter defense is going to be better than what Cleveland has to offer. And who knows? He, he got hot in the fourth quarter here. Really, beyond that, I don't think that there's a pickup to make in light of the Embiid injury news. Milton, you could argue, sort of the fallout from the Simmons injury, but you know there's still more shots to go around without Embiid, and some of those will go to Milton. But I don't think I'm, I'm not adding Thibuel. I think Philadelphia is you know, he's going to get a little more playing time here, but I don't think that they're going to start trotting him out 25 minutes a game, which is kind of where you need him to get uh, get to to really start pounding those defensive stats. That's all he's giving you. So, you, you know, he, he really is only valuable when he's collecting them in droves, which is not exactly what will happen in 15 minutes. I'm not adding Kylo Quinn. Uh, They've been reluctant to play him big minutes all year long. I think you're just going to see a lot of big minute performances out of Al Horford moving forward, who is a firm hold, by the way. And, I mean, if you're, if you're dropping Al Horford after Joel Embiid goes out with an injury, then you've got some other issues you got to work out. And, yeah, uh, I, I don't think that there's anything else in terms of ads here. I think that Tobias Harris is going to have to score a ton Tonight, he didn't have it going, but 
maybe when Philadelphia gets to the drawing board and starts coming up with some offensive play sets that don't involve their two main usage guys, maybe Harris can get himself into an offense that feels a little more comfortable. Josh Richardson's going to do a ton. Uh, he's going to be uh, the main, he's going to be, if not the main ball handler, the second hand, uh, ball handler for this team. He's going to get some assists here and there. He'll get rebounds. He'll get steals and blocks, threes, everything they did tonight. His shot's just kind of off, though. Same with Horford's. His shot's been a little off, too, but I think you can expect uh, a return to what we saw earlier from him this season, where the shot was not that great, but he was getting enough rebounds, assists, and threes, and defensive stats to make himself worth it in nine category leagues. So there's really only three guys that I think are going to be standard league. Those are the, like those three Philly guys are going to be standard league guys. And shake Milton, I think is more of a deep leaguer. We'll see how that pans out. Cleveland side of things. Let's start over with Kevin Love. He's missed two games due to Achilles soreness since the all-star break. That's probably going to be something that's going to continue moving forward. In this one, he played 33 minutes, scored 13 points, had nine boards, six assists, a block shot, and three three-pointers. Colin Sexton led the team in scoring 28 points with a rebound, two assists, two steals, and two threes on nine of 16 shooting, and eight of nine from the line. Tristan Thompson got the start in place of Andre Drummond, who was out with a calf issue, I believe. Um, Thompson scored 14 points, grabbed 13 boards, had two assists, a steal, and a block shot on seven of 15 shooting. Darius Garland in 34 minutes put up 12 points and an assist, not much else. Jetty Osman, the other starter, only played 17 minutes, scored five, grabbed three rebounds and an assist. And then there's these Cleveland went with a really short rotation tonight, basically seven people, eight if you count Osman in his 17 minutes. But the guys that we're paying attention to off the bench for Cleveland is obviously Larry Nance, who a lot to talk, not a lot to talk about, just a lot of things to emphasize with him. 31 minutes. 13 points, 15 rebounds, three assists, and a steal for Larry Nance, and a three. And uh, before we start talking about him, Kevin Porter Jr. had 27 minutes on two of six shooting, five points, five rebounds, and six assists in the block. First order of business, Larry Nance Jr. looks like a for sure, maybe I think that he could be a, he's going to be a surefire rest of season guy. Cleveland is interested in getting him on the floor. They are showing a willingness to, to put him in different situations. He's starting to play small forward with some of the other bigs. You know, we were all freaking out at the trade deadline when the Cavs got when the Cavs acquired Andre Drummond and they said they weren't buying out Tristan Thompson. We're like, oh my lord, no. They're gonna have four clunky bigs share the floor with each other, take away all of their value. It's not been the case. So far with Nance, who, you know, granted the first game was a little off. That he, uh, the first game when Andre Drummond came to town, that is, he, I don't think he cracked 20 minutes in that one and it sent panic alarms going throughout every, the whole system, the whole fantasy landscape. He's now seeing minutes in the high 20s to low 30s, due in part to, you know, yeah, Kevin Love and Andre Drummond have both missed some time that's allowed that to happen. But I think that there's a path for when this team is fully healthy for Nance to get to a 25-minute minimum. And that's enough for fantasy value. That's enough for him to get top 80 value, in my estimation. If he's going to continue seeing looks on small forward in particular, I think that's the key to unlocking it. And he, again, 
the last two games he's seen he, he's been floated out there. So we'll see how that progresses. The other guy I know a lot of you were paying attention to is Kevin Porter Jr. The rookie had a monstrous game in his last one, but fell back to earth in this one. I made note that J.B. Bickerstaff, when he took over his first two games, he rolled out Dante Exum in like a mid-20-minute roll, while Kevin Porter Jr. was sort of playing 13 to 15 minutes a night, which tells me right off the bat that Bickerstaff is not sold on Porter Jr., or at least he wasn't interested in rolling out the rookie. He wanted to see, he wanted to give him uh, Exum uh, other looks. Of course, Dante Exum can't stay healthy for much longer than a three-game stretch. He got injured, and he's out indefinitely. So Kevin Porter Jr. is sort of forced into a big role now. I feel like it's different than when John Beeline was in the, was in the round, and he was showing a willingness to have Porter Jr. be a part of the rotation. I'm not sure if Bickerstaff wants that, at least not in the beginning. I mean, he saw plenty of minutes tonight, and his shot wasn't falling. His minutes got – I think he – I, I didn't take a look at the play-by-play for Cleveland here, but I'm not sure if he saw a lot of consistent playing time. But he saw enough in the short rotation. Regardless, I don't think that he's a fantasy guy. Uh, he's been well outside the top 150 pretty much at every stretch that he's had. Even the stretches that where people are interested in him, where he's scoring a lot of points, he just doesn't do anything else of any fantasy significance besides points and threes. He's just... A, uh, I've heard Dan Bespris in particular, I think, on Twitter talk about how he's a next season kind of guy. I happen to agree with that. Anyway, that's a lot for the first game. <laughs> but thankfully, the second game, I can spend literally no time talking about going into the specifics outside the box score. Of course, this is the New York Knicks and the Charlotte Hornets. Two teams who are completely devoid of anything interesting to talk about from a fantasy perspective. Charlotte won this one 107 to 101. We'll start with the Knicks side of things. Julius Randle led the scoring charge with 18 points on 7 of 14 shooting in 25 minutes. Nine boards, three assists, two blocks, and a three. Okay. <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, Mo Harkless is one guy I was paying attention to in New York because he jumped into the starting lineup, but he had a very uninspiring ball game. 25 minutes, he scored five points, four, had four rebounds, two assists, a steal, and that's it. He's not an ad in any format at the moment. I think there's potential if he's playing, if he can get himself up to maybe 30 minutes and take more than one shot. <laughs> um, he, he's got a nice defensive stat set. He's capable of hitting a three here and there. If he can do that one, one, and one thing and add some rebounds and more, maybe get himself to like nine to 10 points. You're talking about a guy who has standard league value at that point. But this is the Knicks. There's no guarantees. <laughs> Certainly not that. Uh, Mitchell Robinson off the bench, 12 points with 16 rebounds, two assists, one steal, and three blocks in 30 minutes. He's a safe top 50 guy the rest of the way. Alonzo Trier in 16 minutes got it going with 15 points and not much else. Had one three and one steal in six of eight shooting. Uh, Alfred Payton made his return to the starting lineup after a two-game absence with the ankle issue. He had six points, two rebounds, nine assists, a steal, and six turnovers. So he's a little rusty probably because, you know, 
all-star break and then a two-game absence outside the break, you're talking about just not playing basketball for two weeks at that point. So he'll be fine moving forward. And R.J. Barrett continues to be unusable outside of points leagues. Five points, three rebounds, and an assist with one three-pointer on two of 11 shooting. And I have nothing else to talk about with the Knicks. Charlotte side of things. Terry Rozier lit it up. 26 points on 7 of 15 shooting. 8 of 8 from the free throw line. He had 3 rebounds, 4 assists, and a steal. Bismack Biombo moved into the starting lineup with Cody Zeller missing this one. I did not catch the reason why. I think it was a late injury addition, a late addition to the injury report. But Biombo in the start had 27 minutes, 12 re- uh, points, 5 rebounds. Four assists, a steal, and four blocks on five of six shooting. Fouled out of this one. I'm not interested. I guess if you're in a 16-team setting, if you need the block shots, you can go ahead. But uh, he's I've made it known on this podcast that I have no affinity for his fantasy game at all. I don't care how many minutes he plays. Miles Bridges was eh, pretty rough in 27 minutes. He scored 10 points, three had three boards. In two assists, a four of 12 shooting. PJ Washington was a little bit better. He played, led the team in minutes with 37, scored 12, had five boards, three assists, and two steals and two three pointers. Devontae Graham played uh, this game after missing his last with load management. He might be the youngest guy in the NBA to miss a game for load management this season, by the way. Someone could check me on that. But he hit, you know, he's fine. He scored 21 points on seven of 18 shooting. That's not as fine. One rebound, five assists, and one steal. Two three-pointers in 34 minutes. Charlotte had some big news today in the form of Malik Monk uh, being suspended indefinitely by the NBA due in part to failing a drug test. It is unspecified what the drug test showed. Uh, I don't think that there's been any public stuff about Malik Monk missing or, or failing drug tests in the past. There's no clear information here, but... I, <laughs> I guess he's just out indefinitely. He was kind of the only interesting Hornet to talk, worth talking about. And now there's none. Absolutely none. <laughs> so we'll move on. The Nets in the Washington Wizards. Washington won this one 110 to 106. <laughs> Excuse me. Sorry about that. Washington win this one, 110 to 106. We'll start with the net side of things. Harris Levert. My goodness. Levert has had himself an incredible February. He is in since February 1st. Levert is the number, he's a third round player, top 30 in nine cat and eight category leagues. He's averaging 22 points a game to go with 2.7 threes, four rebounds, five assists, two steals on 42% shooting from the field and 85% from the line. Tonight, he was fantastic. He scored 34 points on 20 shots, 10 of 20 from the field. He had five three-pointers, six rebounds, seven assists, four steals, and a turnover. This is stuff very reminiscent to how he was to start last year when he sort of took the league by storm before he had that really, really terrible foot injury. He's got the reins, man. This is his team now. No D'Angelo Russell anymore. Kyrie's done for the year. Spencer Dinwiddie had his time, but now Levert is healthy. And he looks like, honestly, he looks like a rest-of-season value in category leagues. 
he was already that it, it was already the case for him in points leagues. But I don't know. This is a 10 game sample size through February. But by the way, for the Nets, February is basically all without Kyrie. He played February 1st and then that's it. So, you know, 10 game sample size is not nothing. It's indicative that Levert's, I mean, you, I, I watched a little bit of this one and Levert just looks quicker. He looks more confident. It's really nice to see because I've always liked him. If you manage to hold on through the storm, weather that storm with all the rups, the rough ups and downs all year, you're definitely being paid off in a big way now. Now, I wish I had more glowing things to say about the rest of this roster because I don't. Jared Allen. Oh, man. He's only played 18 minutes, had five points to go with eight rebounds and an assist with no defensive stats, two turnovers, one of two shooting from the floor. His counterpart, DeAndre Jordan, off the bench, played 30 minutes, six of eight shooting from the floor, 16 points, 16 rebounds, and nothing else. This battle between Allen and Jordan has tilted far, much farther to the Jordan side of things than the Allen side of things through the course of this month. In the 10 games in February, DeAndre Jordan is inside the top 80 in nine category leagues. He's averaging 25 minutes a game and averaging 10 points and 11 rebounds as well, all off the bench. Meanwhile, Jared Allen has been outside the top 170 in nine cat leagues. And he's only playing 21 minutes a game. There's a lot of low minute output sprinkled in there, particularly of late. I can't explain why, to be completely frank with you. I mean, I don't know what Brooklyn is playing for in this season. That's for all account, by all accounts, just completely lost. DeAndre Jordan's going to be another year older. He's going to be like, what, 33 next year? I don't know why you aren't prioritizing playing Jared Allen right now and get him a little more experience and a little more confidence to where he's going to become a critical rotation piece for a championship contending team, theoretically, centered around Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. You're playing for next year, not this year. Very weird to be deferring to the veteran who, by the way, he's only there because he's friends with the other two. Not to poo-poo all over Jordan, but it's not like the Nets had a reason to bring in a guy who shares the same skill set as their young cornerstone center. Jared Allen's really good. I, I, he just shouldn't be losing this amount of playing time to DeAndre Jordan on a night-to-night basis. Anyway, let's, I, I have him on a team, so I guess I'm a little more peeved than I should be. Torian Prince had 13 points on 5 of 12 shooting. He had 4 rebounds and a steal. 2 of 8 from the floor. I'm done with Prince. Uh, I, think it's, I think it's time to cut and move on. I've been, follow, I've been tracking his shooting stuff, his shooting splits all year long with Kyrie on the, in the lineup and with Kyrie out of it. And it's just definitive. When Kyrie's not out there, his shot falls apart. He, he doesn't respond well to defenses honing in on him. He plays a lot better when off ball when people are delivering him stuff. Uh, he's just not comfortable. He's shooting 35% over the course of February. and He's outside the top 260. I don't think there's any coming back for him this season. He's a drop. Spencer Dinwiddie is also a pretty rough guy to own right now. He scored 18 points on 6 of 12 shooting, 5 of 8 from the free throw line. He had 6 rebounds, 3 assists, and 6 turnovers. 
it's the rough, rough field goal percent shooting and lack of defensive stats that really hurt Dinwiddie. He didn't have any in this game. Through February, he's averaging 0.5 combined steals and blocks, and he's shooting 38% from the floor on 15 shots a game. That's, that's Reggie Jackson-level stuff. It's not good. He could score, and he could maybe get things going here and there, but I don't know. He's, uh, he's a tough guy to own, and I'm sure he's a tougher guy to cut just because you're intoxicated by some of the counting staff that he does. Definitely a points league guy, not a category leagues guy. On the Wizards side of things, we had some interesting news uh, before the start on this one. Shabazz Napier made his leap into the starting lineup over Ish Smith. Napier, though, met some foul trouble early, and I don't think he was ever able to establish a rhythm past that point. He played 24 minutes and scored, shot 4-15 from the floor. Nine points to go with five assists, two steals, and a rebound in one three-pointer. Bradley Beal was the guy who led the scoring charge on the night. He had 30 points on 11 of 24 shooting, four three-pointers, four of four from the free-throw line. He had five rebounds, five assists, and three steals. Uh, Rui Hachimura, in 27 minutes, scored 17 points on six of 10 shooting. He had four rebounds and nothing else. Two three-pointers, to be fair, and two turnovers. Davis Bertans off the bench in 30 minutes. He was okay. He had scored 14 points with four threes, five of 13 shooting from the floor, three rebounds, two assists, and a steal. Yamahimi continues to start at center, not doing much with the job. He's In 20 minutes, he scored four points to go with three rebounds, had an assist, two steals on two of four shooting. Thomas Bryant is still on a hard minutes limit. 15 played in this game off the bench. 8.7 rebounds and a turnover on three of five shooting. Ish Smith, the now seemingly permanent backup point guard in 23 minutes, scored five points to go with five assists and a rebound. He's probably a drop if you were holding on to him there. There's not a whole lot that he could do for you off the bench. And then Mo Wagner in 13, only saw 13 minutes, scored four points to go with three boards and shot one of one from the floor. So, yeah, the big topic on the Wizards side of things is the point guard stuff. Shabazz Napier jumping into the starting lineup. I've expressed multiple times, both on Twitter and on this podcast, that I was very interested in the prospect of Napier joining the starting unit full time. I like that Washington still pays at a, uh, plays at a high pace. We saw earlier this season who Minnesota – they're actually, they're, I think they're right behind Washington in terms of pace this year. There was a moment, there was a nice stretch where Napier in the starting lineup in a 30-minute role was putting up standard league value. He he is able to get you decent assist numbers. He can shoot the three ball. He's you know, he's interesting. He's not going to win you your league by any means, but he's going to do enough to, in the threes, assists, and maybe steals and free throw percentage department to. To, to be worth a look. And I think that's the case in with Washington now. You saw, I think we saw the peak in his last game where he went off for 27 points in like 36 minutes. And this game probably is a representation of what the Valley could look like, which is nothing impressive, but not unusable. Five assists and two steals is not terrible. The shooting stuff is a little, is obviously a little rough. Four of 15 is not that great. So uh, temper expectations, by the way, in like that stretch that I was referring to for Napier, and in particular, there's an 18-game stretch in Minnesota 
where he was seeing starters level minutes, about 28 a game, he was 109 cat during that stretch. I think that's a fair expectation for him moving forward. Granted, he's got to see 28 minutes a night, which he probably won't be able to do, but he could get close, 26, 27, somewhere in that range. Fringe standard league value for assists in three-point needy teams. Nothing really else of note for the Wizards here, uh, other than, you know, they're falling out of the playoff chase here. Washington is, that is. Uh, Orlando's... Rattled, Orlando's the team that's ahead of them. I think they, they've rattled off four wins out of their last five games. It's going to be a point where guys are going to start shutting down. I know Bradley Beal is one guy in particular that a lot of you are afraid of being shut down for good reason, too. He's been terrific as of late. I think he's been a first-round player through the month of February. But there's going to come a time where, you know, that's, that, that might, it might not matter. The Wizards got nothing to play for this year except the draft pick at a certain point. And Thomas Bryant's the other guy that we're waiting to be shut down. Frankly, he should just be shut down right now because he can't play more than 15 minutes a night. I don't know what the point is. He's already re-aggravated his stress reaction in his foot at one point this season. I don't see any reason to continue playing him if that's the case. He's a he's a 6'10 man. A big, big, big-ass man. Playing on a, on a foot with a stress reaction. That sounds scary. And the only reason I bring that up is because if he does get shut down, Mo Wagner probably pops up on the radar as a uh, sort of playoff season type of fantasy player. He's a he, he's definitely worth it in 20 minutes. If he can get anywhere close to 25, he's probably a must-own dude. So keep your eye on that situation as it develops. Magic in Hawks. Our next game on the docket, Atlanta losing this one to Orlando. I don't know why. I don't know why I started with the Hawks side of things. One thirty Orlando, one hundred twenty Atlanta. We'll start with the Magic. Um, big game from Aaron, Aaron Gordon. Huge game. Twenty five points on nine of fourteen shooting. Seven, sorry, ten rebounds, six assists, a steal, three blocks, and three three pointers. He has lit up the Hawks in his last two matchups with them. And more on him in a second, because he's actually had a very under-the-radar, insane month of February. Evan Fournier led the team in scoring with 28 points, uh, four rebounds, five assists, three steals, two three-pointers on 11 of 18 shooting. Nikola Vucevic had 17 and 12 to go with three assists and a block on eight of 15 shooting. James Ennis continues to start at small forward. He played 28 minutes and saw uh, scored 12 points with four rebounds and an assist in 5-11 shooting. And Markel Fultz in 32 minutes scored eight points, had eight assists, three rebounds, three steals, and four of eight from the field. By all accounts, just really good lines out of the starting five for Orlando, who, like I mentioned a little bit earlier, they have won four out of their last five through uh, yeah, their last five games. Off the bench, Mo Bamba went nuts in 17 minutes. 15 points, 10 rebounds, and four block shots and three three pointers. That's an insane. That's a man. If you streamed him tonight, you you basically got yourself like a first round level production. That's a nuts line in that amount of time. And then Terrence Ross, 14 points in 27 minutes, four of 14 shooting, six rebounds, three assists. That's what we expect out of him nowadays. So yeah, nothing really to talk about with Orlando other than to give them props. Some rare magic props. Aaron Gordon, through the month of February, is number 13 in nine-category leagues. He's averaging, and 
He's doing it by helping you in literally every statistical category aside from free throw percentage. He's averaging 20 points a game, two three-pointers, nine rebounds, five assists, 1.3 steals, 0.9 blocks, 48% shooting on 15 shots, and only turning the ball over one and a half times a game. Got to give it to him. He's been really bad all year. Pretty similar to Karis LeVert, actually, for similar reasons. Both of those guys could not hit a shot or a free throw at any point all year. And they're just not, they weren't, neither were doing pretty much anything besides score inefficiently. But Aaron Gordon is having just an incredible all around month right now. And he's not the only one. Nikola Vucevic continues to be the second round guy that he is. He's been 19 overall in nine cat. And Evan Fournier has bumped himself all the way up to 53 on the month. He's averaging 20 points a game through his 10 games in February. I mean, he's been great all year. And it's worth noting, too, that Markel Fultz in his 10 games in February has been inside the top 100. He's number 92. And the, the game, it's a rather consistent log uh, of success when you look at his game log. He's, I mean, it's in large part because of his assists and his steals right now. 7.5 assists per game and 1.5 steals. And he's hitting about half of his shots, 85% from the line. Yeah, I've got I've, I've got a real soft spot for uh, for Fultz. I, I enjoy seeing him succeed, and you know, yet granted, a lot of this run has come without DJ Augustin, but Augustin didn't necessarily stop him from having a relatively good ball game tonight, at least in terms of the assists and the steals and the field goal percentage. He shot four of eight. I don't know. I'm holding on there for a little bit until the wheels fall off, if they fall off at that. And we have to talk about the Hawks. <laughs> the The Hawks side of things was, you know, it is what it is. Trey Young, an incredible specimen by all accounts. 37 points, 11 assists, a steal and a block, 10 of 27 shooting from the floor, four three-pointers and 13 of 14 shooting from the line. He is averaging 33 points throughout the month of February. John Collins was also good in this game. 26 points to go with seven rebounds, four assists, and two blocks, and three three-pointers on 11 of 19 shooting. Uh, DeAndre Hunter, uh, I believe he missed Yeah, he missed his last game. So he, in this, he came back and went 0 of 8 from the floor, 11 rebounds, two points, and an assist, and three turnovers. Kevin Herter, in 28 minutes, scored 13 points to go with three rebounds, three assists, and no defensive stats. Three three-pointers as well. Cam Reddish led the charge off the bench with 31 minutes, 5 of 10 shooting from the floor, two three-pointers, 14 points, three rebounds, an assist, two steals, and a block shot. And Jeff Teague in 23 minutes had 12 points, three rebounds, six assists, a steal, and a block. I can talk about my love for Cam Reddish and how he's starting to develop into a really uh, intriguing two-way player. But that doesn't have a whole lot of bearing on fantasy this season. Uh, Reddish, at the, you know, he's had a really, really nice run in real life, that is, over his last, like, 12 games or so. But it's only translated to sort of fringy standard league value, like top 120 stuff. The real interesting note from this game happened on the broadcast with Travis Schlenk joined uh, uh, Bob Rathman and Dominique Wilkins in the booth. And he was talking about Clint Capella sort of giving a, an official slash unofficial update on his prognosis. And, you know, I think it was a week and a half ago where the team announced that he would be reevaluated in two weeks, which puts us at like the beginning of March. 
Well, on this broadcast, Schlenk revealed that Capella is probably not coming back till mid-March. And he went, a, went further and qualified that guess with a maybe. So he maybe might be coming back in mid-March, which sort of sounds to this podcaster here like we, we're probably not seeing him for the fantasy playoffs, which is rough. Um, I, I, I'm just not super surprised by that. I was sort of tooting the horn early that I believe in my belief that the Hawks were just going to rest Capella as long as it took. He, cause he was clearly dealing with a heel issue all year in Houston. The Hawks are going nowhere this year. He is sort of their prize acquisition of the season. He's young. He's big. You don't want to mess with a get with a big, with a big man in his feet. So there's just no reason for him to, play aside from gaining some you know some chemistry with his new teammates in particular Trey Young and John Collins so in that case in that respect Dwayne Dedman is an absolute hold guys I, you, I know he didn't play tonight he was a late scratch he went from probable to questionable throughout the day with an elbow issue you gotta hold I know his recent games don't look all that impressive he got into foul trouble He's been, I, I, he's gotten five to six fouls in all in like four of his last five games. And he's, to be fair, he's going up against, he, he hadn't played a whole lot of the season, just wasting away on Sacramento's bench. And he's been sort of thrown to the fire playing starter levels minutes against some pretty imposing centers. He went up against Bam Adebayo, got into foul trouble. He went up against Joel Embiid, who scored 49 on the Hawks that game, got in foul trouble in that one too. I've seen him get dropped in a league in a couple of my leagues, and he, I assure you, will be a standard league player the rest of the way. And if Capella, especially if Capella's not playing, this is the time to. I mean, trust me, you should have De, uh, Dwayne Devin on your team. Moving right along to the next game on the docket, the Minnesota Timberwolves and the Miami Heat. Minnesota winning this one, one twenty nine to 126 in Miami. Oh, boy. What the hell is going on with the Heat? The Minnesota Timberwolves are now two of eight, are now two and eight on the month of uh, February. They, I think, and I think two of 19 over their last 21 games. How does Miami lose this one? Well, we'll start with D'Angelo Russell, who led the scoring charge. 27 points, 5 rebounds, 6 assists, 3 steals, and a block shot. 7 three-pointers on 9 of 18 shooting. Have yourself a day. A night. <laughs> Young man. Malik Beasley continues to be the second scorer in this Minnesota Timberwolves onslaught without Carl Anthony Towns. He had 21 points to go with 6 rebounds, 5 assists, 2 steals, and 3 three-pointers on 7 of 14 shooting. 4 of 5 from the free-throw line. Juancho Hernan Gomez had 17 points, but didn't do a whole lot else. He had five rebounds and assists, two steals, and three three-pointers. Okay, that's that's not nothing, but it's also not that much of something. That makes sense. Um, elsewhere on the roster, Nas Reed, who I know we're all keeping close tabs on, continued to play, get himself into foul trouble. He finished the game with nine points. Four of seven shooting, three rebounds, a steal, and a block in just 19 minutes. 
He only had one. He, the first quarter was actually pretty decent for him. In his last two to three ball games, he'd gotten two fouls in the first quarter, and he only managed to do uh, to collect one. Played six minutes in that first, but then in the second and third quarters, he got two. He picked up four fouls between those two quarters, and only played a combined eight minutes in that span. He just he, there's. I mean, look, he's an undrafted big guy. Teaming with potential, but he's just so outmatched out there. And again, granted, he's had some tough assignments. Nikola Jokic and Bam Adebayo, two of his last three. But if he's not getting minutes, he's not really worth using, right? Tonight's ballgame isn't terrible for a 19-minute output because he got you the two defensive stats and he didn't kill you anywhere. But it's not what people signed up uh, signed up for really the guy who has been the most impressive has been James Johnson who continues night in and night out well hey he's benefiting from Nasri being in foul trouble he's able to collect some extra minutes in the middle but he's just doing a lot of stuff 23 minutes tonight 11 points five rebounds four assists a steal two blocks he didn't hit any threes he also fouled out in this one by the way predictably (laughs) he was playing against he was playing center against Bam Adebayo uh, but no, like he, he's been really good guys since the trade went down that sent him to Minnesota. He's been a top 80 guy in nine category leagues, averaging 11 points a game, five rebounds, three assists, uh, 1.3 steals and 1.7 blocks. Uh, that's a virtue of him playing in the middle. Similar stuff to what he did tonight. He also is shooting 45% from the floor and 80% from the line in that span on three attempts per game. It's not nothing. He he should be owned, if that isn't clear. He's only, I think, 14% of leagues, or maybe 20-something percent of leagues at the moment. But I, I see no reason for him to be, slow down at this point. The sample size is enough to indicate to me that he's going to do a lot of that interesting stuff that made him a relevant nine-cat guy two years ago. The assists in particular is what sets him apart. I mean, the defensive stats and the threes are obviously the base, but there's plenty of players who are capable of getting those who don't do anything else. James Johnson's ability to also get involved in the, uh, in the playmaking side of things makes him a very cool type of fantasy player who can do a little bit of everything for you. So I'm still in on Nas because I, I think that at some point the storm's going to be weathered and he's going to get to go up against some teams where he won't get in foul trouble. I mean, these are also early reps for him here. And for... I don't. <laughs> I don't think that he's going anywhere by any means. He might move out of the starting lineup at some point, but he's still the only guy above 6'10 on this team. So he's going to get minutes as long as Towns is out. So I'm holding there, and I'm adding James Johnson everywhere if he isn't already on your team. Also, just for the record, Juancho Hernan Gomez, since the trade, I, I, mentioned, I was a little down on him when I was talking about his stat line, even though tonight was fine, but... Since being sent to Minnesota in his seven games, Wancho is number 196 in nine category leagues. He's averaging 13 points, uh, two three pointers a game, and five rebounds, and 1.6 defense, collective defensive stats uh, combined. That is, which is not bad. It's fine, but he's not. He's less than an assist a game, and he's shooting 44% on 10 attempts and 64% from the line on four attempts. That last number in particular is what's really dragging him down, and the lack of other stuff is what prevents him from being a usable guy in category leagues. And 
honestly in point settings too. In a points league, I'd probably like stream him here and there, but he's not reliable. Off my radar. And for anyone who's keeping track too, Malik Beasley is number 65 since being sent to the Timberwolves. That's something that I imagine will hold the rest of the way. Averaging 21 points per game, four three-pointers and six rebounds. Some cool traditional like shooting guard stuff, you know? It's like Kevin Martinish with more assists. Anyway, we have... Four more games to get to here. We'll start with the Grizzlies and the Rockets next. Houston blowing out the Grizzlies, 140 to 112. They are eight and two. The Rockets that are, that is. They're eight and two throughout the month of February. And they, they have been particularly good since committing to going. Wait, ho- wait. I'm so sorry, guys. I'm getting ahead of myself. I didn't talk about the Miami Heat side of things. I guess got so enveloped with the Timberwolves that I <laughs> moved on. Easy there. That's why I need a co-host to keep me in check. Miami side of things. They lost this one, like I mentioned at the top. Uh, Kendrick Nunn led the team in scoring with 24 points, six assists, two rebounds, and two threes on nine of 19 shooting. Jimmy Butler made it back into the lineup after missing his last game with personal reasons. He had 18 points on four of 10 shooting, four, uh, two rebounds, sorry, four rebounds, nine assists, and two blocks, 10 of 11 from the line. Bam Adebayo, who came into this game questionable with an ankle uh, injury, but ended up being able to play. He was good. He scored 22 points to go with 10 rebounds, 7 assists, and 2 block shots. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, Kelly Olenek was pretty solid in just 16 minutes, 11 points to go with 8 rebounds, an assist, 2 steals, and a block, and 3 three-pointers. Duncan Robinson does did what Duncan Robinson does. He shot three of six from the floor, all three-point attempts. He scored nine points to go with four rebounds and an assist and a steal. And uh, Jake Crowder, uh, continuing to see big minutes off the bench. He's starting to cool off, though. Two of nine shooting from the floor, 32 minutes, five points, nine rebounds, three steals, and a block shot. So the def- and a, and a three-pointer. The defensive stuff is still nice. He's averaging a crap load of uh, steals since being traded to Miami, uh, about two a game. But it's the shot in particular that we've been waiting for to fall off for him because he's been shooting, I think, like his first six games in Miami was about 50% from the floor. He's been below 40% all year long. So that was a very easy regression to call. The two of nine stuff is going to be more of the norm for him moving forward. And really, it's going to, for him, it's all going to be about seeing what kind of value he'll have when the shot goes back to being what it was in Memphis. Is he still, because, you know, the, the other interesting note is that he's getting, a, his steal rates are way, way higher in Miami. And that could be a system thing. He does fit Miami's frenetic defense uh, pretty well. I think that, you know. He's going to continue seeing big minutes for them. But he's certainly not going to be the top 30 guy or whatever he's been since he was traded there. Expectations should be managed to maybe a top 90 player who, if the steals continue to be at this high level, perhaps he can get a little higher than that. But I'm not super confident. Really, you know... It's just about Bam and Jimmy on this team. 
There's no real consistent options outside of them from a fantasy fantasy perspective. Duncan Robinson would probably be the third guy, but he's a three-point specialist through and through. He's just so good at it that he's got himself he's put he's able to produce standard league-ish value. Um, you know, Kendrick Nunn is a bunch of scoring and nothing else. It's not my cup of tea. Over the last month, uh, Bam Adebayo has been number 24 in nine cat, and Jimmy Butler has been number 45. Butler, you'd like to see him pick things back up. His shot has regressed uh, a good amount, and he's turning the ball over a lot, three turnovers per game. And he's also hitting zero threes, not even attempting three-pointers, which is interesting. Unclear as to why that is. And now we can safely move on to Memphis and Houston. Oh, I guess last, last thing I wanted to point out, Miami's in a weird sort of funk in February. They're four, they're four and seven, but take a little, I mean, they've lost now to the Hawks, the Kings, the Cavs, and the Timberwolves in like their last seven games. That's really weird. Something's not quite right uh, there right now. I mean, I'm not saying like from a chemistry thing or anything, because they seem like a, a tight-knit group. But to lose... To all four of those teams, especially the Timberwolves and the Cavs and, and, and the Hawks, I'm not going to pretend like they're not <laughs> an abominable team. Um, that's weird. That's very weird. Keep your eye on that because, you know, Miami's going to start following some of the standings. Not out of playoff contention, obviously, but they're, not, they're looking a lot less like that top three, top four powerhouse in the East that we thought they were. And they still could be. Anyway, Rockets and Grizzlies, 140 Rockets, 112 Grizzlies. We'll start with Memphis. Uh, Dylan Brooks led the scoring charge with 22 points on 26 shots. Yucky. He uh, had four three-pointers to go with three assists and a rebound. John Morant scored 12 points on 5 of 13 shooting to go with three rebounds, nine assists, and a steal. He's been kind of rough over the last month or so. Jonas Valanciunas has been... Better, 16 points to go with 10 rebounds and an assist and 6 of 9 shooting. He only played 23 minutes, but that's probably due to the small ball nature that Houston's playing with these days. It's kind of hard to keep a guy like JV out there when you have all these smaller guys running circles around him. And Kyle Anderson is a guy who I've been keeping tabs on. He only saw 18 minutes, which i got to admit is a little surprising to me. But he was still good in them, which is also a little surprising to me. He uh, had 7 points. Seven rebounds, four assists, two steals, a block, and one three-pointer. Pretty decent stuff, actually. And I'm, I'll circle back on him in a second. De'Anthony Melton hopped into the starting lineup uh, with Nat, with Brandon Clark out. He scored two, nine points in 24 minutes ago with seven rebounds, three assists, a steal, and a three-pointer. He's been pretty big letdown, to be honest, coming out the break. The per-minute stuff has not transferred to the... At the, the larger real-life role that he's been playing. Perhaps there's something to the fact that he was a lot of his success came against weaker second units uh, the first couple of months that we started tracking his stuff. Now he's being now he's coming in midway through first quarters, playing second quarters. Like he's just he's he's there's a lot more higher expectations on him, and the stat set hasn't necessarily translated to the increased responsibility. For the record, the Anthony Melton has been 
the t- outside the top 260 in non-category leagues over since the trade deadline, his last eight games. His shot in particular has completely abandoned him. He's only shooting 31% from the floor. Yeesh. The other guy who we were watching was obviously Gorgie Dang, who uh, also was very, unable to see much floor time tonight because of the small ball rockets. 19 minutes, 10 points, two rebounds, an assist, a steal, and a block on four or seven shooting. He's likely going to be fine in his next game. If he gets to 25 minutes, he'll have standard league value. And if he was dropped after this one, which I imagine he won't be, he's worth picking up. Before I move along, I do want to make note on Kyle Anderson as a pickup. I want to make that argument because I'm all about it. Funny enough, since the trade deadline, he's actually been Memphis's best fantasy player in eight games. He's number 84 in nine category leagues, and he's really getting it done without points or threes. That's sort of the key for him. He, uh, he he's doing a lot of the other, he's doing it. He's now bumped his assists and his steals up to levels that are making him a pretty uh, enticing guy because he has some all-around production to him. Outside the points, which he's only averaging eight per game, and the threes, which he's only averaging .4, he is averaging 6.8 rebounds, 2.9 assists, 1.3 steals on 55% shooting from the floor and 87% shooting from the line. And he's only averaging one turnover a game. He's really more of a nine-cat darling in that sense, especially if you're in a format where you're punting points or three-pointers. You're punting either one of those guys, he immediately jumps up to a sixth-round value. I mean, seven rebounds a night, three assists, and a steal and a half, that's not nothing. Especially on the percentages that he's shooting from right now. Aided by the fact that he's not shooting threes, like at all. And he's not, I mean, the, and the free throw percent's nice, but he's not really going to the line, so it doesn't matter all that much anyway. He's just doing a lot to be in the conversation. He's doing it in 25 minutes a night, and there's... In particular, now with Jaron Jackson Jr. and Brandon Clark sidelined for an extended period of time, he's very enticing heading into the playoff stretch here. Especially if you don't care about points or threes. You don't even have to be pointing, uh, sorry, punting points or threes. If you're really, really dominant in either of those categories, you could just throw him out there to help round out your other stuff. You know? I got a team with a situation like that now where I'm looking to add him. Got a ton, ton of three-point shooting. So much so that adding him in his lack of three-point game really doesn't mean all that much to me. It's really all about the other stuff that he's going to make me a lot better and that these three-point shooters aren't necessarily helping with. So yeah, I like Kyle Anderson. Moving on to the Rockets side of things. We have... Moving on to the Rockets side of things. Here we go. Russell Westbrook, 33 points on 15 of 24 shooting in 34 minutes. He had... Nine rebounds to go with eight assists and four steals and five turnovers. James Harden was good. He scored 30 points to go with five, re- seven rebounds, three assists, and a steal on nine of 16 shooting. P.J. Tucker in 25 minutes scored 11 points to go with three rebounds, two assists, and a block with three three-pointers. And Robert Covington continues to do a little bit of everything. Ten points on three of eight shooting, six rebounds, and assists, a steal, and three block shots. We'll go with one turnover. And Austin Rivers scored a lot off the bench. He had 23 points to go with on uh, 23 points on nine of 12 shooting, four of seven from three point land, four rebounds, three assists, and a steal. 
Houston is a very easy club to to talk about nowadays. Oh, and before I move on, Daniel House, four rebounds, two four points, two rebounds, no assists, no defensive stats, and no threes in 26 minutes. He's in a little bit of trouble, mostly because of the new additions, Jeff Green and Damari Carroll. Their presence is cutting into House's playing time, and more significantly so once Eric Gordon is also back in the fold. Jeff Green in this one, and he had in 23 minutes, he scored 11 points on four of eight shooting, had five rebounds and four assists. And Damari Carroll in 18 minutes played, uh, scored three points, four rebounds, an assist, a steal, and two blocks. Neither Carroll nor Green are fantasy relevant guys, but they are going to start taking away from House and Tucker. I think that's very clear, and I think it's necessary too for Houston, who are just running those two guys into the ground, especially Tucker. Jeff Green, it makes a lot of sense as a small ball center in this setup, as do plenty of other guys like uh, Robert Covington's capable of doing it as well. You're going to see Tucker's minutes trend down, and House's minutes are going to trend down as well, thanks in part to the uh, Damari Carroll aspect. And when Eric Gordon is back out there, he'll probably take up some wing minutes as well, which is unfortunate because House was really starting to find his groove again with the steals and the blocks and the three pointers. But now if he is dipping to like low twenties, he's not going to have enough value to be usable. And even though he saw 26 tonight, you're already starting to see that he's being phased out a little bit. Um, for nothing really else to add on that front, other than to just continue watching the developments between the Tucker green house and uh, Carol minutes. And the only other thing I want to add is that Robert Covington, since joining the Houston Rockets, is number 25 in nine cat leagues. 25. He is a souped up Trevor Ariza for all intents and purposes. 12 points per game, 2.83 pointers, 6.9 rebounds, an assist and a half, one steal, and 2.6 block shots per game. That number's nuts. And it's not going to go anywhere either. I know it's not quite like what he's done at any point in his career. But you don't need me to explain how <laughs> a guy like Robert Covington is able to get a ton of defensive stats playing in a high-paced system where he's essentially just a forward center 100% of the time. He's in such an awesome situation, and he's going to be an early-round guy to close out the year. Moving along, we are now into the stretch run here. We have the Dallas Mavericks and the San Antonio Spurs. Dallas wins this one 109 to 103. We'll start on the Mavericks side of things. Luka Doncic scored 26 points, had 10 rebounds, 14 assists, a steal on seven turnovers, three three pointers on 10 of 25 shooting. He left this game with a thumb issue, a little bit of a scare in the second quarter, but he managed to get back out there just fine. Collected the triple double, and I believe I saw this uh, come across the Twitter feed. He ties Jason Kidd for the franchise record of 21 triple-doubles. All <laughs> Luka Don, I'll, I'll repeat, Luka Doncic is now tied for the Dallas Mavericks franchise record in triple-doubles. Unbelievable. Chris Tapps Porzingis is also, uh, was also pretty good in this game. 28 points, 12 rebounds, an assist, two steals, three blocks, and four three-pointers. I said pretty good, and that is demonstrably underselling what he did. This is a fantastic ball game. Eight of 10 shooting from the line as well. 
elsewhere. He's fine, by the way. I don't need to add much more to Porzingis other than he's probably going to be a top 40, top 30 play the rest of the way. Seth Curry was one name I was keeping an eye on in this one because he's been on a pretty nice heater. And tonight was the heat check. He only scored seven points, had three rebounds, two assists, two steals, and two three-pointers. He, uh, he's, yeah, he's going to fall. He's going to go by the wayside, as has pretty much every single Mavericks player from a fantasy perspective, not named Luka or Chris Stapps this year. So it was fun while it lasted. Tim Hardaway Jr. scored 17 points to go with two rebounds and nothing else. Three three-pointers as well. Maxi Kleba off the bench, nine points, five rebounds, a steal, two blocks, and a three. He's the only, he's the only other guy in, uh, in Maverick land who I would be interested in if he were able to maybe get to a 25-minute roll consistently because of the 3 and D stuff and the rebounds and the nice percentages. But I don't think Rick Carlisle is in the business of giving us reliable rotations that we can count on on a night-to-night basis. So we'll see. I mean, we won't. I don't think it's going to happen, but we'll see. Um, yeah, let's see. Dorian Finney-Smith had a nice game. 14 points, four rebounds and assists, two steals, three blocks, and two three-pointers. His role is safe and fine, but he's just a very meh fantasy player who, who you cannot expect production from on a night-to-night basis. On the Spurs side of things, uh, kind of an interesting setup from them in this one. No LaMarcus Aldridge, still out with the shoulder thing. Uh, Trey Lyles was the starting center, and Lonnie Walker moved into the starting lineup. And I don't know if he was the power forward or DeMar DeRozan was the power forward, but one of those two were. And that's kind of out there for Popovich, who has not fully embraced the small ball nature of the NBA at the moment. Let's start with DeRozan. He had 27 points, 8 rebounds, 9 assists, a steal in 34 minutes, 9 of 15 shooting. After mentioned, Lonnie Walker was uh, also put together some some nice stuff. 12 points, 3 rebounds, 2 assists, and 3 blocks. 5 of 9 shooting and 2 three-pointers. Fan favorite there. I'm sure the Spurs were fans who attended this game were happy to see him get all that run. Though they did lose, so I guess they weren't all, <laughs> all that happy. Um, DeJounte Murray in 23 minutes. He had a rough shooting night. 3 of 13 from the floor. 8 points, 8 rebounds, 2 assists, and a block shot. The... Uh, Sort of yo-yoing between he and Derek White continue. This month, Murray has been inside the top 60 in a 26-minute-per-game role, and thanks in part to really nice steal numbers with rebounding and assists, whereas Derek White has been number 140 in 9-cap through the month of February. White in tw- uh, got, did win the minute share of the battle tonight uh, with 29 minutes. He had 9.7 rebounds, 2 assists, a steal, and a block. Jakob Pertle, and this one's a little interesting to me, he only played 10 minutes in a game where he was the only big man. He's the only center on San Antonio's roster. I think he was widely expected to do more without Aldridge, but that just has not happened in either game. Pertle, five points, four rebounds and assists, and nothing else. He actually didn't even play in the second half. Uh, Rudy Gay essentially was splitting the center minutes with Trey Lyles the entirety of the second half. Gay, um, in that respect, he had four points, five rebounds, two assists, two steals, and a block shot on two of nine shooting. And, yeah, that's uh, there's nothing else to talk about with the Spurs. They are a boring real-life team and a boring fantasy team. They 
have lost all three matchups to Dallas this year, for what it's worth. And they are quickly fading outside the playoff picture. Of all the teams that played tonight, you know, uh, of every team that played tonight in February, they have the second worst record. Three uh, of seven. Sorry, three of ten. They're three and seven. It's not good. Things are really not good in Spurs land. I would say that you should keep your tabs on Jakob Pertl because of the potential of a LaMarcus Aldridge shutdown risk. But who knows, man? Pertle at, at no point this season looked like he was primed to step into a, a role higher than 25 minutes a game. Maybe keep your eye on Lonnie Walker. If DeMar DeRozan gets shut down, perhaps. That one seems a little less likely than Aldridge. Hell, Aldridge wasn't playing and Lonnie Walker benefited, so maybe you just keep your eyes on him either way. He hasn't never really expressed much of a fantasy aptitude, but the Spurs fans do love him. He's an interesting, exciting young player. Moving along, we have two games left, and it is now uh, these are the last games that we have here. It's the Clippers and the Suns. Clippers winning this one 102-92. to Clippers have been on a little bit of a skid recently, so they could definitely have used this win. Kawhi Leonard... Led the scoring charge of 24 points on 7 of 17 shooting, 14 rebounds, 5 assists, and 3 steals. Um, He's a a safe first-round player, as there are. All you have to be afraid of are those pesky back-to-backs. Paul George and Pat Beverly were playing on minutes limits tonight, though I don't think either of those limits were disclosed. George saw 28 minutes, whereas Beverly saw 24, which is honestly pretty close to their regular minute allotments anyway. So, no harm, no foul. George, in his 28 minutes, only scored 11 points to go with a rebound, four assists, three steals, and two threes on 4 of 13 shooting. Whereas Beverly scored 11 with five rebounds, two assists, no defensive stats, and three three pointers. Uh, Marcus Morris, uh, continuing to stick around in the starting lineup, he played well, six of 14 shooting, 18 points, five rebounds, three assists, and a block shot, four three pointers as well. And Reggie Jackson led the scoring charge off the bench in 16 minutes. He scored 12 points on four of six shooting with two threes, two rebounds, and an assist and a block. Montrez Harrell did not play. You know, he, he led the team in minutes off the bench, but he didn't do a whole ton. Eight points, six rebounds, and assist, two steals on four of seven shooting with four turnovers. And you know, pretty quiet games from Lou Williams and Landry Shamit. Lou with six points, four assists, a rebound, and a steal. Shamit with six points and a rebound and two three-pointers. And nothing to add on the Clippers. They're as straightforward as they get from a fantasy perspective. Sun side of things. We have the Ayton-led... I Sorry, I just jumbled over my words there. DeAndre Ayton led the scoring charge with 25 points, 17 rebounds, and three block shots on 11 of 22 shooting. He's been terrific, actually, uh, as of late. Uh, he's a solid second-round option at the moment. Devin Booker, who's been solid all year, had an off night, 14 points on – he met Kawhi He met Kawhi Leonard. That's what happened. <laughs> 14 points, 5 of 19 shooting, one three-pointer, and 10 assists with nothing else. Ricky Rubio continues to get himself back into form, 18 points, 10 assists, 6 rebounds, 3 steals, 7 turnovers, 5 of 11 shooting, and two three-pointers. Um Gosh, I started going into the stats, but I did bury the lead here. Uh, Kelly Oubre was out with a knee, and the the comments coming out about this are not positive. He, Monty Williams, described the knee situation as 
fluid. Not like that he has fluid in his knee, as in like the situation and how it's developing, like in terms of its severity is fluid, which sounds a whole lot like we don't really know how bad it is. We just know that it's bad. Um, there, as far as I'm aware, there's no timetable that's been released on Ubre, which might as well just throw him into that pocket of uh, <laughs> indefinitely maybe out tags, which would really suck because he's been such a, a joy to own in fantasy and to watch in person this season. But nonetheless, we must prevail and move forward. McCall Bridges is definitely someone who's benefited from that. He has uh, played 38 minutes, scored 10 points ago, six rebounds, three assists, and four steals. Solid production out of him. He uh, was a little afraid before Ubre went down that Bridges was getting phased out because of the return of Sarich and Baines to the rotation. There was just, I felt like there was shrinking paths for uh, Bridges to get to that 30-minute role that he plays. But with Ubre out, um, that's all That's all gone. McCall Bridges has a completely safe 30-plus minute role at that point and thus should continue to be owned in standard leagues. Sarge, by the way, who got the start for Ubre, he played 31 minutes, scored five points, had nine rebounds, three assists with no defensive stats and no three-pointers, and you can continue to ignore him in all settings. And there's nothing else to add on the Suns side of things other than just to keep your eye out for Kelly Ubre news whenever that is to come out. In this game, I, 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 I timed this one perfectly if I were to pat myself on the back. The Boston Celtics and Utah Jazz game just went final. Boston winning this one 114 to 103. They extend to 9 and 2 over the month of February. They are really firing on all cylinders in in particular, Jason Tatum is firing on all cylinders. He is having the best stretch of his career by a long shot. 33 points on a 13 of 20 shooting, 11 rebounds, 3 assists, no defensive stats, and 3 three-pointers. He has been an early-round guy, a top 20 player in nine-category leagues throughout the month. Um, I see no reason for that to slow down. You just got to keep riding it and hope that it continues into the playoffs. This is really, he's just so, he's just really, like, you watch him, and you can see that this is like a star coming out moment, you know? We all knew that he has that potential, but man, he is showing us all for real what kind of guy he could be. Gordon Hayward, in 36 minutes, he scored 12 points, go with five rebounds, two assists with no defensive stats, and a three. Kimball Walker missed his fourth straight game with the ankle issue coming out from the All-Star game in which he played, by the way, which I know I'm not the first person to bring that up, but I can't not bring it up. He's now missed four games outside the break. Really weird that he played that game. So without him, Marcus Smart continues to dominate the starting point guard duties, and he's doing really well in that respect. 17 points, nine assists, three steals and a block and three, three, uh, three, three pointers and three rebounds. Jalen Brown was really good. He had scored 20 points, had six rebounds, two assists, and a block shot with three three-pointers on eight of 16 shooting. And Daniel Tice continues to just hum along at his mid-round pace. 16 points, seven rebounds, an assist, and a steal, six of nine shooting, and four of four from the free-throw line. He is completely settled in as the starting center for Boston, and that is not going to change anytime soon. So now the Utah side of things. This is an interesting. This is a fun place to end the night because there's a lot of there were some weird stories 
I guess really it was more one story and then a reversal on that story that came out today. Uh, Shams Charania of The Athletic reported that the Jazz were prepared to permanently move Mike Conley to the bench and plug in Royce O'Neal as a starter with the rationale that Royce is the team's best perimeter defender and that they need him to really go out there and uh, get on like these these wings in the Western Conference that they're going to have to barrel through in the playoffs and to get Joe Ingles more involved as the pick and roll player. Like just to establish that muse again with some of the guys like Rudy Gobert and uh, Bohan Bogdanovich, just get him involved as a primary playmaker. Then, not even two hours later, Sharania comes out with a new report saying, never mind, my bad, or I guess Utah's bad. They've now decided to send Joe Ingles to the bench in favor of Mike, keep Conley in the starting lineup and keep Rose O'Neill in there as well. Which, if I recall, that is the exact setup that Utah started the season with. Um, and it did not go well. So figure that one out. Yeah, I, you know, and again, I started recording this podcast when they were in the first quarter. So I have no idea how that experiment played out. I guess we'll start with Mike Conley himself, who in the starting lineup scored 15 points on 5 of 13 shooting. He had four rebounds, three assists in a steal, 33 minutes played, five three-pointers. I don't know if I mentioned those once or twice. Royce O'Neal in his starting lineup, he played really well. He had 14 points, four rebounds, an assist, three steals, and two three-pointers. That's not going to be the norm for him. Royce O'Neal is not a pickup, by the way. He's a very low-usage type of player. Rudy Gobert was pretty eh. He only shot the ball four times, nine points, nine rebounds, three assists, a steal, and two blocks, and four turnovers. Donovan Mitchell, I don't know why I haven't talked about him yet. He scored 37 points in this game on 15 to 32 shooting, two threes, five boards, five assists, and not much else. Joe Ingles, I guess, is, is who we're supposed to be paying attention to here. And oof, is very, very reminiscent of what he looked like coming off the bench to start the season. 26 minutes, three shots, two points, two rebounds, two assists, and a block. If you're a plus-minus guy, he was the worst on the team. Minus 17. Ugh. And then uh, Jordan Clarkson, who's been, honestly, he's been Utah's best player throughout the month of February. He's been number 55 in nine-category leagues. That's actually, that's the best in Utah, if you can believe that. He's, in 20 minutes, shot 4 of 13 from the floor. Nine points, four rebounds, and not much else. Utah is now, falls to four and six through the month. I cannot wrap my head around the decision-making that would happen today. I was really excited about the prospect of Utah understanding how important Joe Ingles is to their success. And in particular, when Conley was out for as long as he was, Utah rattled off a really, really impressive run, fueled almost entirely by Ingles. Okay, not entirely, but he was an essential cog. He was the starting point guard. He was hitting like two and a half threes a game, averaging seven assists. Four rebounds. He was getting everyone involved. Rudy Gobert in particular. I think that was his best stretch of the season. Donovan Mitchell was playing a lot better then. He's been way off since Mike Conley came back. He's, in, you know, from a fantasy perspective, you want to rank it. He's been outside the top 120 since Conley's returned. Sorry, not since Con- not exactly since Conley's returned, but through the month of February, which encapsulates the most amount of games that Conley's played since returning. 
splitting hairs. He's not been, he's been worse. The whole team's been worse. And I understand that you want to get your prized free agent acquisition involved, but come on guys, you've seen what worked. You were there today at the precipice of it. You were right there acknowledging Joe Ingles makes the most sense as this team's starting point guard. In terms of fantasy stuff here, Joe Ingles is, he, I mean, he's been dead for a while. His shot has been non-existent for about a month and a half at this point. Jordan Clarkson's a fine hold, although I feel like he's due for a come down at some point himself. I, you know, he's number 50, like I mentioned, 55 and nine cat leagues over the month. He's averaging 19 points a game off the bench on 55% shooting. He's never been that type of guy. That's going to come down soon. He still is not giving you anything else in terms of defensive stats or rebounds and assists or what have you. So points league's fine. You can keep riding him. I think I've made it pretty clear on this podcast that I'm a nine category based guy. And that's clearly where a lot of my viewpoints start. So I'm sorry to those of you in points leagues who feel like I'm not doing a fair enough job at representing your points of view. Clarkson's fine in that setting. And Conley, I guess to close things out here, I don't know what you do with him. I really don't. Because he's going to get you some numbers as the starter. He's going to miss games to load management here and there. But I just don't – I don't think he's worth it. I don't think that, you know, he's capable of producing standard league value the rest of the way. And I know it feels weird to drop him. I think he's owned in 86% of leagues. But at a certain point, you know, he – all right, how about this? You still hold him to see if Utah can scheme their way out of their issues that they have not been able to figure out all year, which, as I say that sentence, sounds a little ridiculous. But – Conley is, a, is like a prime cut candidate for when your playoffs start. Like, if you're starting your playoffs next week, Conley probably doesn't need to be on your team anymore. I'd say that's your deadline to get to cut bait here because Utah's had more than enough chances to try and figure this out. They, they bungled the approach today. I, just, I still don't know what happened. And, yeah, I, uh, that's all I got on that situation. Thank you guys for listening to the podcast. Um, I love doing these. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Alan Sorochi, A-L-A-N-S-R-O-C-H-I. I like to give thoughts on, for the most part, every day on slates of games. Uh, I have a watch list that I put out with a multitude of different players that I'm keeping tabs on, mostly waiver wire guys. Guys I'm seeing if maybe they can emerge, become something more. I answer all your questions too. You can hit me up, just tweet at me, hit me up with DMs, all of it. I'm all about it. And of course, follow our great feed at Hoopball at Hoopball Fantasy. The blurb feed that comes out there is the best. In not only uh, it not only gets out to you the quickest, but it gets you fantasy advice the quickest. That's the key. You know, there might be other services out there that get you alerts faster, but Hoopball by far gets you analysis faster than any organization out there at hoopball fantasy. That's the feed guys. Uh, I do blurb shifts on Sunday mornings. <laughs> so you can look out for me there. If you want to follow me there too. And yeah, that's a wrap. I will catch you guys next week for another Wednesday night. And until then, have a great rest of your week.
This has been a Hoop Ball presentation. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.